The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. All right, everyone. Welcoming into the program, Alex Jacob. You you might know him from Jeopardy. You might have seen him on your TV. Uh, you also might know him from winning the 2006 ESPN U.S. Poker Champion. You might you might have played with him at uh, a card table before. You might have played with him at the World Series of Poker. Alex, thank you very much for joining the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Um, just an aside, my dog just barked. So, do you need to record record that, or are we good there? <laughs> no, we're we're all good. <laughs> okay, okay uh, sorry. Oh, I wasn't yeah, sure dog, if you could hear that. Yeah, dogs pop up on the show. Babies pop up on the show. You know, it's uh, it's all good. Everyone understands that uh, that we're all living our our lives out there. So, uh, we're gonna we're gonna chat some cards on the show. We're gonna chat some Jeopardy, and then uh, at the Sweet. end, I have uh, I have some trivia questions for you that are related to, to my life, to some of the, some of my favorite things. And I'm going to see if you can get any of them. I will be very impressed if you are able to get multiples of them. So uh, I always like to start with, uh, you know, just trying to kind of pick your brain. Do you remember the most interesting poker hand you have ever played? That is a good question. The most interesting hand. Um, I don't know if it's the most interesting hand, I, a story comes to mind. That's um, what we're looking for. Yeah, a story comes to mind. So, so uh, I'm 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 thinking of this hand. I'm about 21 years old. I, I think I may have had maybe one TV final table, but I I I pretty much am not a known person. But I'm doing well in this tournament. I'm kind of riding high. I've had a little bit of success. I'm kind of running over the table that I'm that I'm at. It's at the uh, Borgata in Atlantic City. Okay. Uh, I think it was a WPT tournament, World Poker Tour, or something of you know a ten thousand dollar buy-in. I think it was a World Poker Tour. Anyway, uh, Phil Ivy comes to the table, and uh, of course, right away, first hand he raises, everyone folds. He takes it down. Of course. Second hand, he raises. Um, I think someone called. You know, he wins the hand. Third hand, he raises. Everyone folds. He takes it down. At, at this point, you know, I, I you know, I, I, I'm letting it play out. But then after the third hand, I just said to myself, it was kind of like a, uh, it was like a, uh, a Matt Damon in rounder. Yeah, moment, that right? l- it was just- literally, it's like I'm not going to let Johnny Chan bluff me. Exactly. It's just like, I'm just going to outplay this guy, this hand, right? I'm like 21 years old. I'm like, uh, you know, invincible syndrome here. Like had a little bit of just a small taste of success in the, in the poker tournaments, definitely not thinking at all. And I'm, I'm pretty sure to this day that Phil Ivey knew who I was at that time or, or ever. Um, so I'm thinking, you know, I'm not, I'm, 
he's not going to be thinking I'm going to be making a play on him. I'm just going to be able to get away with this. So I kind of say to myself, all right, you know, next hand he raises again. I'm just re-raising and I'm just playing it as if I have eight and I'm just going with the hand regardless, you know, all in if, it, if that's what it takes. Sure. So of course, next hand he raises and, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to back down at this point. I've decided in my head. So I re-raise. I don't even remember what I had, but I think it was just, it was just complete rags. Basically. I wasn't even worried about having any kind of, uh, hand value. Of course, like kind of more nowadays you would kind of want to be like, Oh, maybe I I at least wait to have like a suited connector or like some kind of, some kind of hand value. But at that time in my life, I was not worried about that at all. So I re-raise and, uh, you know, Ivy calls, I think the flop was King high. You know, he checks, I bet I'm feeling good. Like, I'm, you know, Ivy's just got nothing. He just called me pre-flop and I'm going to get away with this. I'm going to take it down. Of course, he calls and, uh, you know, he, 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 I had more chips. I was like chip leading the table, kind of dominating at that point. He did not have a lot of chips. So at this point, after the pre-flop re-raise and the big flop bet that he called, uh, he, he's, he's getting a lot of chips in there. And uh, on the turn, I'm still just like, all right, I, I've decided I'm going with it. I go all in on the turn after he checks. And uh, he thought for a little while, he kind of sighed and, uh, you know, he, he, he put him in. And I think he had, I think it was a king high board and he had king queen. So he called me with the, which at the time I was like, wow, I can't believe he called me with that. Right. But it, makes, it kind of makes perfect sense in a way that he, that he, that he did. And, and, and why I, this hand kind of stuck with me. And uh, of course I went on to um, kind of dust my chips off and not cash in that tournament, obviously. Of course. Um, but it, it, it kind of made me think that like for a guy like Ivy, it almost becomes kind of like a binary proposition. It's like everyone at the table is either uh, trying to come for him or, or trying to stay out of his way. Trying to get out of his way. Right. Well, it's kind of one or the other. And like, just like the key for him is just kind of figuring out who is who in what moment. And just like in that moment, he had me pegged for exactly what I was doing. And, and, you know, obviously um, I, whatever he had, I think it was a a top pair hand, but like, he's not called, he's calling me knowing I'm bluffing or, 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 in with the hopes that I'm bluffing in other words like there's no value hand that I would be shoving all my chips in that like he you know whatever he had I definitely remember that part of it and he just had me pegged for what I was doing and um that kind of stuck with me like especially later on you know at times when I would be you know find myself kind of the most known person at the table at the table yeah Yeah. kind of keeping that in mind and uh you know kind of realizing like, well, some of these people are just trying to stay out of my way. And if, if I've identified someone as, as, as one of those people, and then all of a sudden they re-raise me, maybe I need to take that seriously. Or is this a moment where they snapped and they're, and they're, you know, trying to put one over on me. So uh, uh, that's kind of my story, I guess, with that hand, but it was not like such a, like an interesting hand strategy wise, but just kind of like a moment that, always stuck with me where I like tried to you know pull the uh 
sorry, John, I don't remember uh, moments <laughs> on Phil Ivey and just like completely, you know, got owned by, you know, one of the greatest players of all time. So that's kind of a moment that humbles you and sticks with you. I mean, that is, I mean, that is basically the, that is basically the rounder story, except in reverse, instead of, instead of owning Johnny Chan, you get owned by Phil <laughs> Ivey. I, I assume a lot of people's most interesting hand they've ever played probably comes against someone like that, you know, Ivy, Gus Hansen, Doyle, you know, something like, you know, a, a lot of people, probably a lot of people who played professionally or semi-professionally or, or like super seriously during the big poker broom. Um, Cause I, I mean, uh, so when, when did you start playing cards like professionally? Like that was like what you wanted to do. Right. Well, kind of like I started playing in college a lot. We had, you know, a, a poker game, which actually, you know, turned out to have a lot of like future great players like Vanessa Selps was in that game. Um, and, wow. uh, yeah, at, at uh, Yale. Um, but um, so I, I was playing a lot in that. It was kind of, you know, a small-ish game, you know, but a very serious with, like, good players. And that was, like, a good training ground. And then, you know, at some point during college, I started playing online a lot, a lot. And especially senior year, it was kind of more of, like, a job level at that point, especially the way online was. This was, I graduated in 2006. So this was, like, kind of, like, prime time. Prime, yeah. Uh, for especially you know years before that before uh before black friday um so um uh sorry i kind of lost where i was at so you know where were we going what was the question (laughs) just sort of just sort of what was your transition to playing poker super seriously because you went to you went to yale right 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 right. so yeah so 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 in other words i was playing online a lot in college sorry <laughs> sorry it was like a real uh, brain fart moment Been there, buddy. um yeah so uh you know and then i kind of built up a bankroll from online to playing tournaments and um kind of was lucky enough to have some success right away where then it was just kind of like off to the races and and i was playing a lot more tournaments and kind of started traveling to uh to tournaments yeah and i mean you know it's it's um it's sort of interesting so like at at this time i was i'm a i'm not that much younger than you i'm probably 10 years younger than you or so so like at at that time you know the the stories of the of the all of the guys who became very good card players around then and then chose to do different things after black friday like it's it's so fascinating to see all of these people who made you know very good money from like 2006 to 2000 and uh what was it black friday was uh to early 2010 right uh yeah uh i'm not uh well right yeah right so the the initial kind of right so i guess it was around 2010 where it actually went into effect that sounds right here i can uh i can google that real quick uh april yeah <laughs> april april 15th 2011 which yeah that is oh, that, okay uh, right right that that sounds that sounds exactly right i guess i you would think that uh both of us would would remember that a little bit more but neither of us do so what i it, kind of remember more like the decision was made like way back and like i think it was 2006 and but then yeah. it didn't actually you know you're right it didn't actually come to pass until until later 
yeah, it didn't it didn't uh, you you didn't log on to Full Tilt or Poker Stars and see the um the Department of Justice logo until right. later on, right? Um, yeah, no, it it's just interesting, you know, because some people stuck with it, right? Some people moved to to Vancouver or Mexico or or uh, Europe and and kept playing cards. Some people took the money they made and sure. and started playing businesses, um, or, or you know started started businesses like. Uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's just very interesting, but so many people on who have come on this show were a part of that boom in one way or another, because, uh, you know, a lot of the people involved back then are the people who are in DFS now, crypto now, sure. NFTs now, like, I, I don't know, just for, yeah. for me in my life, that like 2005 to 2010 poker boom period is like the most impactful period of time in my life because it still influences like everything that I do today it's crazy yeah yeah um so I I I always ask people who who play cards this on the show what is your favorite poker book or or the book that taught you the most or the book that you would tell people to read if they were trying to improve their game right now Sure, sure. Well, those are kind of all different things, but let's I'll try to uh, get into it. Any, so kind an, of like, answering any of them is fine. Yeah, great. Um, so like back in the day, I guess, uh, you know, pre moneymaker, even, you know, when I was playing, yeah. um, you know, you basically had uh, there was kind of like Doyle Super System, Super book, System. or like the Sklansky books, like Theory of Poker, uh, Hold Them for Advanced Players. And uh, they're both good books, especially, you know, for the time, um, Super System, Doyle is kind of like, uh, it's kind of more anecdotal where Doyle is kind of like, this is how I got one over on those uh, people in Texas, <laughs> you know, he's kind of like, uh, yeah. I don't, you know, playing with Sudi connectors works for me, it always has, you know, kind of, kind of thing. And uh, Sklansky's books were more... Um, kind of theoretical and uh this is like the framework that uh you know is underlying the strategy of the game and i, and I think my you know i had both i had all the all the all these books i had sober system and sklansky's books but i i, I think probably the sklansky books um theory of poker and um there was hold'em for advanced players it was actually limit hold'em Cause back the kind of like before, like the moneymaker boom, it wasn't even like really clear yet that like no limit Hold'em was yep. like the game, even though the rounders game. had come out in like 98, I think like still, like I remember um, in college going into New York city to play in underground clubs and it was uh, limit Hold'em that I was playing. Like that was the game that like most people were playing. And I think at some point they had, they eventually had a no limit game there, but like, really like limit hold'em was a dominant game back then. So hold'em for advanced players is kind of like a limit hold'em book, but I remember definitely having that one too. Um, as far as like, what would I would tell someone to read today? I don't like, I think those books are still like stand up. Um, they might be like a little, um, you know, kind of outdated or not that they're outdated, but kind of just like as, as far, you know, a book like Sklansky's The Theory of Poker, I guess it's just kind of like a lot of the stuff is stuff we all know already. It's just it's just not point. how people it's just not how people think or talk about playing poker anymore. It's yeah. still good. I I yeah. I got really into playing poker again during like hardcore lockdown. Um, oh yeah. 
and so I so I reread those books, uh, not not Super System, but I reread Slansky's <clears throat> books, and, and and then I started reading some of the you know the current stuff, right? Like the stuff that people are doing now with the solvers and everything. And right. it is, I mean, it is it is jarring to see how different the understanding of cards is now compared yeah. to what it was then. Cause so like, for example, you know, if you're, if you're talking over a hand with someone now, you'd be like, what should I do? And the answer wouldn't be what they would do. It would be, well, I do this X percentage of the time. I do this X percentage of the time. And I do that X percentage of the time. Like it's, it, it it's right. just, or, so or even they're just like the solver says to do this, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, I, I would say, have you read any of Andrew Brokos's books, the the Thinking Poker books? You know, that I was actually just about to mention. I, I do like, a, yeah, the Play Optimal Poker, I think it's called um, One and Two. I think the first one is kind of more uh, more theoretical, more, more like straight game theory. And the second one was like more hand examples. But yeah, I, uh, I like those books. I like uh, his podcast um actually uh his uh uh his uh co-host on the podcast nate was also in our uh, poker game at yale so uh wow that was quite the game back then huh that's yeah uh, for that's sure it really, it really was a lot of good players in, in there and uh yeah yeah i would i would definitely tell everyone to read andrew brokus's books um there you you can get them on their site they are uh you know they're they're if, if you are really trying to up your game from like you want to be able to go play two five no limit at a casino or whatever i I would say reading his books is really going to get you to a spot where you're you're going to be a winning player compared to a lot of the people you're playing against like his books are very good yeah that's awesome i was i was thinking here like oh i'm gonna give uh andrew brokus a plug and then uh you were already locked and loaded so uh that's cool. Yeah, I like the way he uh, thinks about and explains the game. Um, you know, so I think he's a he's a good uh, teacher. So, um, are you are you still playing a lot right now, or are you? I like is is that uh, is is card sort of a past life for you now? It's somewhat of a past life. I still play a, a little bit. I'll fire up, uh, you know, online every once in a while. I haven't played live in a little while. Sure. Um, well, um, live poker is not series. very fun. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> I played uh, the World Series in a couple other tournaments, maybe, you know, a couple years ago um, in the before times, I guess. Uh, sure. But um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, like, I, I wouldn't say I'm like, it's like a completely like out of my life, but, but uh, not playing as seriously as I used to, not kind of like you know studying or, or, or like I used to or anything like that but um still like have some love for the game and, and maybe you know kind of easing back into it a little bit you know um here and there kind of watching some stuff listening to uh podcasts like like we were saying and uh and well that's books. that's that's sort of what that's sort of what you hear from people now is that a lot of people who were you know, of your age, right? Who were uh, in there when the games were good, World Series of Poker, when ESPN was there with the, you know, the the Jack Link's beef jerky wild cam, you know, like when it, when we were really at the height, um, the game is so right. different now. And I mean, uh, you know, uh, 
Doug Polk uh, came on this show and, and he said this a lot. It's not like, it's not like I have the scoop on this, but he just was like, yeah, poker is not that fun anymore. It's just, it's just not the way that it was back then. The games are tougher. You have to be studying so much more. You have to be working the solver so much more. And if you're not, you just get steamrolled at, you know, really like at, at the stakes that he'd want to be playing. Yeah, no, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely a completely different game. And I was already seeing it get more competitive, you know, at, at the tail end of when I was playing tournaments and it's, you know, it's a completely different world now, especially with solvers. And, you know, it was kind of like back in, back in the day, day, like, uh, you know, like we were saying, you know, 2005, 2006, you know, I, I'd be three betting people at the table and they'd be like, whoa, whoa, what is this guy doing? Three whoa, betting. calm down. Bro. <laughs> right. It's, you know, it's, and now, you know, uh, you got like old ladies and they know to three bet, you know, I feel like everyone's three betting, you know, it's, it, it's just a completely, uh, it's just a completely different environment. Yeah, for sure. Well, the, the goal back then was to just be the most aggressive player. And if you were, if you were the most aggressive player, that like meant like like there's that that well uh I I think Vanessa is in that that the that famous clip of like five bet six bet and I think it's against Prahlad Friedman and she shifts it all in and he calls her with aces and they raise each other like eight times but that was just yeah. an example that was just an example of a hand that would be like not even that uncommon back then because the goal was just to be super super aggressive pre flop yeah well she always takes I mean she. she takes it to another level where she is, she is very, uh, she will not back down, but that's part of what makes her such a great player as well. Of course. Oh yeah. No, no. I mean that not even, not even a criticism of that play. It's just, that was the way that really was the way, you know, it, uh, it was back then, but I, I want to, I want to change tune a little bit here. Cause I, it, it seems, I, and again, you know, I, I can't claim to, to know for sure, but like a lot of what's going on with your social media presence these days is, trivia and jeopardy related because you are uh you're quite the you're quite the jeopardy player how did you how did you get on the show like i assume you like i i don't even know the process how what is the process of applying to be on jeopardy right so um there's an online test now they used to hold it like once a year at a certain time um, but nowadays they have like what's called the anytime test where you can just log on and take it whenever you want but okay. um, it's an online test, 50 questions of kind of like, you know, average difficulty that you would see on Jeopardy and maybe like, you know, kind of in the middle rows of the board and, um, you know, mostly standard stuff. And I, I, th I think if you, people say if you get, you know, it's not like an official um, score you need to get or it's like been confirmed by anyone, but people say you need to get like around 35 out of 50 to pass i don't know if like how true that number is anymore or or what but that's what people used to say and um if you pass you know i think not even everyone who passes i think i think it's it's still random like some amount of people who pass then will get invited to audition if you're lucky i'm pretty okay. sure because i definitely passed a couple times without um getting invited to the audition and then uh um you get invited to audition now i think now again nowadays they are doing those over zoom but but uh then they were in person and they gave you kind of an in-person kind of the same test you took online but um 
kind of in person just to make sure you didn't cheat online or have someone helping you, you know, right, like a team of people, anything like that. Kind of make sure you can still hack it. Um, and uh, then they kind of go through like a mock game, you know, where they kind of like put you in a game scenario where you're up against other people and they just kind of see if you can remember to follow the instructions and you know not blurt out and not get super nervous and kind of say you know what is and, and stuff like that and yeah. you know see if you're personable or whatever and then they'll have like a they have, they have like a you know a fake interview segment like they have on the show and just kind of see if you're ready for the show and then at that point um either they call you or they don't so that's uh that's how you get on um for for me i kind of actually kind of knew that i was like could pass the test but not i didn't think i would like do that well like when i first kind of had the idea of going on so so i waited to take the test i kind of like you know was like i'm gonna study in my spare time you know here and there for the for the next year or two and get better and and then take it and try to really go on a run so that was kind of my strategy on it i don't think that's a very common you know tack but uh, that's kind of just how I approached it. So, so you didn't think you would be that good when you had first gotten on, like you, you weren't anticipating no. getting on and, and like being a crusher. No, when I, like, when I first like kind of had the idea, like, Oh, I'm going to try to get on jeopardy at yeah. that point. Um, I was like, all right, I have some work to do. Like I kind of knew like I was okay. I knew a lot of stuff just naturally. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I have a good, you know, recall for facts good and recall. stuff, yeah. but, uh, but, you know, I didn't think, you know, just watching the show, you can kind of tell, like, you're not answering, you know, if you're honest with yourself, you can see that you're not like answering all of the questions, you know, and I, 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 I felt like, you know, having taken some of the sample tests, you know, I could pass, but I didn't think I could win. You know, or, or I didn't, I didn't know if I could win. I wasn't like super confident. So I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to take some time, you know, and then I didn't actually take the test until years later. And then at, the, at that point, by the time I actually got on the show, yeah, I was, I was feeling like a super crusher. Like I could, you know, I, sure. like I could go on like a super run. Like I was like completely devastated when I lost, you know, in my seventh game. You know, I was like, oh, no, like I had this all in front of me. You know, I had this, you know, it's it's funny. You're kind of seeing like these big streaks now. And I kind of like that was what like I kind of prepared for it and, and kind of thought was possible. And, uh, you know, it's kind of bittersweet, like seeing these other people succeed because it's like, you know, it, it was there, it, you know, the upside was there, you know, I was correct in that, you know, I just fell short myself. Um, but well, uh, anyway, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, obviously. correct me if I'm wrong, but you are actually the pioneer of the super aggressive wagering strategy before uh, James Holhauser did it. Uh, well, I mean, I, I was, I was definitely, I was on, you know, it's definitely a true fact that I was, you know, on the show before James was, um, I don't, you know, and I may have been, it may be a true fact that I was the most aggressive person on the show up to that point when I was on the show. Um, 
you know, I don't, I don't know if I want to, if I can claim that I was like the pioneer. There's definitely other people, um, you know, just, I just have to, for the, if, you know, for the Jeopardy um, hardcore people that are watching, they're going to be like, no, 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 like Roger Craig, you know, he did the all in daily doubles before you and, you know, Arthur Chu, he bet a lot of money too. And you know what I mean? So I, sure. I, I, I'm not going to try to say that I'm like the first person. Um, I, I think I probably went all in on the daily doubles more. I think that's that's probably fair to say more than anyone else to that point. But uh, you know whether I'm a pioneer or not, I guess is, is more of a, up for debate. But uh, yeah. Well, why do you? Why do you? I mean, what is your theory on why that overlap between you know trivia and game theory and you know poker, sports betting? fantasy sports like I mean what 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 is your view on why people who would tend to be good at these wagering activities would be good at something like Jeopardy well I think you could separate the trivia aspect out of it I don't know if there's I mean maybe there is I don't know I don't, I don't know if there's a strong connection between kind of like the gambling world and the trivia world I mean obviously James and, and I you can point to um, but I think the, you know, the, I, you could probably just point to the fact that, you know, maybe both of us are super competitive guys and really, really, you know, studied to the max to get ourselves to the point, you know, you know, you know, to, to the point where we would be like super trivia players. Um, but in terms of the, like the game theory, like betting aspect of the show, um, I definitely think, you know, Jeopardy is a game, you know, and it, it's not uh, just like a quiz that, you know, it's not just a question and answer thing. So there's, there's strategy involved and, you know, people aren't necessarily taking advantage of the daily doubles enough. Um, it's kind of an opportunity where you don't have to beat anyone on the buzzer. You just get a question to yourself and you get time to think. And if you're a good player, you're probably 80 or 90% to get it right. And, and maybe it comes from, you know, if, if from a gambling background or, for, or if you're a sports better or if you're a poker player and if you have an 80, if you think you have an 80%, you know, 80% to win a bet, you know, obviously you're happily going all in and, you know, let the chips fall with it where they may. Um, so that m might have something to do with why, um, you know, James and I both had the same kind of mentality of, you know, you just want to maximize your your wins where you have like a big edge here um the other thing is i think maybe people are, are under underestimating kind of like how huge it is just to lock the game up before final jeopardy and if you can get out to a big lead and not have to face the variance of the final jeopardy round um it's just it's just really big and 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 for the same reason you know you're not totally out of it um, if you can, if you go down to zero on a daily double, because if you can, you know, get back within striking distance, there's so, so much variance in the final jeopardy round that you can still win anyway. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is, I, I guess it is sort of like that mindset that is needed to capture the edges in poker, except instead of studying solver stuff, you are, you're, you're studying trivia right so I, I, that's actually i'm very curious what was your trivia 
process like? I mean, are you uh, are you like a voracious reader? Uh, did, did you have like, you know, specific trivia books? Like this is always something I've been super interested about people who are really good at trivia. Like what was your studying process like? Uh, I'll, I'll get to that. I just had one more thought. Oh yeah, go for it. That, no, just that like, even if you understand like everything I said before in terms of like the daily doubles are like a huge advantage for you and you really want to like lock the game up. Uh, you still have to have like the willingness to kind of like, you know, put it all out there, uh, you know, especially you're on national TV and, you know, of course, you're, yeah, you're risking it all. And uh, I think that is something that, you know, for someone like um, me or James, who is used to gambling in their daily life, it's not as maybe much of a barrier where, whereas it's it's a little more difficult. It's a lot easier yeah, to like, a, a school teacher. Yeah, school teacher sure. from wherever. Yeah, it's much harder for them to do that. Sure, it's kind of you stay in like a comfortable range of of like what you want to wager. But you're asking about um, about trivia, how I got better, and it, it, the answer is basically just um, that I studied specifically for Jeopardy. Like there there is actually a website called. Uh, the Jeopardy archive is, is uh, jarchive.com, I think. And um, it basically has, you know, going back seasons and seasons and seasons, all the questions and answers and, and it's uh, searchable and, you know, you can, it's, it's kind of all there for you where you can kind of like, say you could type in George Washington and, you know, every comes up every question that they've had in the last 20 years, you know, on George Washington and every fact that you would need to know about George Washington if you're going on Jeopardy. So it, it's kind of like this impossible task when it comes down to it because there's just so much material and so you know many questions and uh, episodes that they've had. And the goal theoretically, at least for me, is kind of like, okay, so I'm picturing in theory, like there's this, there's this set, there's like kind of like the Jeopardy canon. There's like this set of things that the writers like might ask about that is kind of fair game that you know kind of includes everything that they've ever asked about before that they might ask about again but also maybe some stuff like current events and stuff like that and like the goal is just to like know every single one of those facts but it's obviously like a completely impossible thing to do but you're just trying to at least for me like come as close to approaching that as possible and um it really just started with kind of just going through the J archive and reading through questions and just like kind of writing down things I didn't know and, and, and just kind of keeping a list and kind of going back to that and just, uh, and just trying to accumulate, you know, all the facts that I could. What was your, what was your weakest category as you're going through the J archive? What are you like, man, like I really thought I knew more about, X than I did before. Yeah, well, I, I I don't know if I knew thought I knew, but I definitely, well, maybe like things like um, Shakespeare, where you kind of like think like, oh yeah, you know, sure, you know, whatever. I read, you know, we did Romeo and Juliet, we did Hamlet, we did Macbeth in school. Like I know all those, but then when it actually comes down to it, like, do you know like which character is which? You know, and, and like the, the plots of of all these different plays and uh, 
and and they go to Shakespeare so heavily. That's definitely a big one where you just really have to know it. Um, the Bible is a big one that I knew was a weakness. I mean, especially just growing up Jewish, you know, I, and I, like the New Testament was just like a complete right. blind spot for me. And even the Old Testament, you know, even the stuff that I am supposed to know, I guess, um, it, you know, obviously, um, well, I don't know, not obviously, but I, I'm not like never been like a super religious person. Um, so those are not like facts that I have, like some things obviously, but, uh, those are not facts that I have like hardwired either. So the Bible was definitely one that I had to put in like a lot of effort in. Cause like they ask about that more than you would think. And, you know, you're just going, you're going up against two Christians who, you know, went to Bible going study. to bible you're, study yeah you're just like completely like drawing dead if, if a new testament category comes up and it's just like not where you want to be so i like definitely people have different approaches like some people would look at a category like say i know a lot of people that go on jeopardy like kind of don't know sports and and they kind of assume like well sports is just kind of this like vast i just won't if a sports category comes up i just won't know it I wasn't really satisfied with that approach. I was like, wanted to know like any single possible thing that could come up. I wanted to know. So like something like the Bible, I really had to put some work into. And, and so when you're, when you're putting in that work, is that reading through scripture or whatever, or is that no. the, the Jeopardy website typing in the Bible and going over questions that have been asked before? Yeah, it's, it's definitely more that. It's definitely more that. I mean, I'm trying to like um, be as efficient as I, as I possibly can with this, right? So, you know, I could read the whole Bible and, you know, kind of absorb it and kind of know it pretty well, but that would take like a really long time and probably- right necessary and I would probably end up knowing a lot more information that I would really need what I'm trying to do is really trying to figure out like what are the tidbits like what are the what you know two facts possibly about each person or one fact do I need to know about each bible character you know what are the things that are really going to come up you know the names of books you know etc that I you know that could could that I would really need to know which is, uh, so what about, what about studying for sports? I mean, uh, like, like I think myself, right. I, I would think like, so the average trivia question about sports is probably going to be way below the purview of the average person, but way above the line of like what I would know, right? Like I would assume that I would be really good at sports trivia and maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. So, uh, you know, what, what were some of like the, the things that you would study for, or, or do you even remember any of the sports questions you had while you were on? Um, I remember a little bit. I mean, I think it's it's basically it's more like it's it's like what you said. You would be good. I I, I think the like the sports uh, the sports trivia is not high level sports trivia if you're like a sports person. Um, it's kind of really mostly down the middle. Well, that's, that's sort of the, that's sort of the dirty little secret about trivia in general is that it's actually very low level for anyone who's super into it, but, right. but it's, it's all, it's, it's all general stuff. So it's like, uh, a nuclear physicist would know 
very specific stuff. But if I asked, if someone asked me a very basic nuclear physics thing, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Like all, all of trivia is basically general trivia of these niche areas. Like I, you, do you see what I'm saying? I'm not explaining it very definitely, well. No, that's definitely right. And Jeopardy is like the perfect example of this where you really have to know kind of like a surface knowledge of everything. Like I was saying, like I don't have like a particularly deep knowledge of anything. And, and like, in fact, your example of like the physicist, you could put a nuclear physicist on Jeopardy and a physics category could come up and they probably would know everything, but I could see them even like knowing too much and kind of like overthinking. Something. Overthinking. Yeah. Right. It'd be like, well, it could be this or this where like, I just know like the, you know, the, 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 the physics thing that Jeopardy asked about or like the most common thing or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's definitely doesn't, it definitely behooves you to have you know, like a uh, to be like a jack of all trades kind of, or you have like a, a some kind of knowledge in anything that could come up, but it, it doesn't really, yeah, like it's unlikely that um, they would stump you on a sports question. Now, every once in a while, they have something. And in fact, I do recall I, I, uh, a sports question that I think I got wrong. I'm pretty sure they asked me about... Um, the legendary uh, Lakers announcer. Do you know who that is? Just curious. No, no clue. Lakers announcer who I think he, I think they might've said like he coined like slam dunk or something. I might be making that part up, but from back in the day, anyway, his name is Chick Hearn. Oh no. I, I, so, so after you say it, I know it, but that is also one of those things like that, that nugget is after they said it, I knew it too. But yeah, I remember not getting that one and being like, Oh man, because I definitely thought too, like, I didn't really study that much for sports. I studied a little bit, but it's kind of like, you're thinking like, all right, my natural sports knowledge is going to be enough for Jeopardy. Like they're going to just be asking like Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, but every once in a while they'll like throw in uh, one like that, that gets by you. So I do remember that one got by me. Well, yeah. And everyone also has the experience of, um, you know, of, of, of playing trivia with their friends, you know, bar trivia or whatever. And you get to a category where, you know, the answer to every question, you're like, this is so easy, right. Of being like, cause, cause this is my right. thing. You know, I, I, uh, I was a, an art historian, an art historian or whatever. So I got every question about art history, right. Or, or something like that. Like it is uh, trivia in general, just like the ability to recall or the ability to retain information is like pretty fascinating. And then it's funny, anytime on Jeopardy, if like an art historian or something or like a pastor is on and then like a Bible category comes up, uh, everyone online is like, that's rigged. Like, how could they give like the pastor the Bible category? And it's like, it's all like randomly predetermined. Like nothing is rigged. Like don't, it would, it would be rigged to, to not let him have the Bible category if it randomly came up, you know? Right. Um, do you have uh, from, from, I mean, either from your time on the show or from whenever do you have a trivia answer that you are most proud of knowing like one where you were like wow it is it is truly a stroke of luck that I knew this one or or that you studied in a particularly like really good way to know the answer to one question yeah you know um oddly enough I still remember some answers that I got right at my audition interesting maybe maybe because uh Maybe because it was just like my first kind of experience, like holding the buzzer and answering questions. And, but uh, I do remember, like I said, I was studying for the, I had been studying for the Bible hard. And uh, 
I, the, uh, the question came up. Um, I don't, I'm not even sure how to pronounce it, but it, it's the Bible book of Habakkuk. I got right. The H-A-B-A-K-K-U-K, I think. And wow. uh, I could tell the person was like not expecting anyone to get it. And even myself, I was kind of like, as I said it, I was like, you know, I, I studied this, I think, and I guess it's a thing, but I can't even believe that it's coming up right now. That one sticks up. Oh, and also at that same audition, I remember um, they asked uh, who played Marcus Welby, MD, which was a show from like a, a doctor show from the 60s, maybe like way back. But that's another thing that I didn't mention that I felt like I had to study a lot, which is old pop culture. Oh, because, I'd be so um, bad at that. Right, because, because like being like a relatively young person up, like if you're up against, like Jeopardy is kind of like, you know, uh, there's an older audience that watches Jeopardy and then for there's older pop culture that they ask on the show and uh, a person who's 20 years older than you will just naturally know all that. It's kind of like we were talking about with the New Testament. It's, it's like you could just be up against someone and just could be completely dead. So I studied for, so I had studied uh, old pop culture and I knew who played Marcus Welby, which is uh, Robert Young. And I could tell the, uh, the uh, contestant coordinator, Maggie, who if you're a Jeopardy person, you know, Maggie, um, she doesn't work at the show anymore, but she was like the most beloved person in Jeopardy. And uh, she seemed very impressed with that stuck with me. Um, something on the actual show though. Um, I remember um, at, in the All-Stars, uh, playing against Brad that he had gotten one wrong that I had gotten right and and I, it was like the first moment when I was like all right this is like legit I'm here at the all-stars I'm playing against Brad Rutter who at the time was undefeated and you know the winningest Jeopardy player of all time and uh, I think it was uh, something about like a handsome youth from Greek mythology that John Keats wrote a poem about and uh, Brad had jumped on the handsome youth part and said Adonis, who is like the classic handsome youth from Greek sure. mythology. But I knew it was uh, Endymion. I don't know if that's how you even say it, uh, just based on the John Keats poem thing. Um, that's, uh, if you heard the line, a thing of beauty is a joy forever, that's from that poem. Uh, so I, that one stuck out to me. It's just like, oh shit, like, Brad just got this wrong and I got it right. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm here doing this. That, uh, so that's another one, Greek mythology or uh, classical poetry. I feel like those come up on Jeopardy all the time. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so you have, you have your own trivia newsletter league that people can sign up for right now, the School of Trivia, it's $8 yeah. a month. Uh, yeah. Of course, I, I wanted to promo that a little bit, but I had thanks, man. Uh, I had a question for you, which is, what is the art of writing a trivia question? Because I feel like I feel like that there is certainly you don't want to go too deep. You don't you don't want to have a trivia that literally only someone who like was at this event or has like you you don't want it to be too obscure but you need it to be difficult. So what is it like writing these trivia questions? Yeah, it can definitely be tricky. And, and we have like a, a wide uh, like range of players, a um, little over a hundred players right now. And um, 
split I've split them up into four different divisions. So and there's like a pretty pretty difference in skill between pretty big difference in skill between like the top division and the bottom division. And like you said, it's 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 definitely that fine line of something where you don't want you know the top division to all have perfect scores, but you don't want the bottom division to be killed either. Um, I definitely try to um, like my preparation, like I said, and and a lot of my trivia knowledge is based on studying for Jeopardy, and that's kind of like where a lot of my trivia comes from as well. And just I want it to, in other words. Um, I, if you're playing, it should, I want it to be a good help for you. If you're trying to get on Jeopardy, if, if, if you want to get better at Jeopardy and, and not have be asking about completely obscure things that are beyond that, that are completely beyond the scope of Jeopardy. Now it's like every single thing I ask about definitely going to like come up on Jeopardy, you know, maybe not, but I try to, that's kind of like the, the, the guideline I have for myself to kind of um, stick within that, um, stick within that lane. So it's kind of like useful to people because I know a lot of people have aspirations of being on Jeopardy, even, even casually, you know, um, even kind of like in a, uh, uh, like I said, like a casual way. So um, that's kind of where I where I aim for that. So School of Trivia, what is it? How do they how do they sign up for it? What do they get? How do the leagues work? I I'm I'm very curious myself. Sure. Well, you can uh, to to sign up. You can either go to my Twitter at who is Alex Jacob, or you can go to uh, schooloftrivia.com. We'll take you there. Um, what you get is uh, Monday to through Friday, there's a newsletter that goes out, which it's just, um, there'll be like a, a, a fact or a tidbit that kind of inspires that day's quiz. So I'll write a little bit about that. And then the quiz will be kind of based on that. Um, one sports, what I did is, do you know, Davis, uh, who Jackie Mitchell is? Does that name ring a bell? That doesn't even ring a bell. It was a 17 year old girl pitcher who uh who struck out babe ruth and lou gehrig back to back in an exhibition game now you know I'll, some historians say you know obviously that, that, that it was staged for publicity but uh you know jackie always swore that that uh, the strikeouts were legit and uh, it's kind of an interesting story she she uh grew up uh, next door neighbor to uh, dazzy vance who taught her how to pitch and all this stuff, and I, you know, I kind of personally think uh, that uh, that the babe wouldn't have allowed himself to be part of a publicity part stunt of an where exhibition. he gets embarrassed. See, yeah, but yeah, that so old old baseball, another one that shows up all the time in trivia, all the time. And I and I've read a bunch of old baseball books and stuff, and that has always helped me in trivia. But those Willie Mays, yeah. Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Mickey Mantle, those Joe DiMaggio, those guys. Uh, they they show up all the time in, Baseball in trivia. Baseball is great for trivia because there's so much history, there's so much there's so much statistics, and it's just like kind of embedded into the culture of our country, especially yeah, especially here. Yeah. Um. So so before I I do have some trivia that we're gonna get you at it, but I I just wanted to ask, you know, how did you end up finding DFS? What kind of contest do you play? And why on earth do you listen to the Gil cast? No one, <laughs> no one should listen to the Gil cast. No, I, I disagree. The Gil cast is uh, some gold. Uh, if you're, if you're playing, 
DFS, especially cash games, and you're not listening to the Guildcast, uh, I don't know what you're doing. But, um, you know, I kind of came to DFS pretty late. Um, and, and I, you know, I haven't really, wouldn't really even really say I, I have come to DFS. I am just a, a very casual you know, I guess kind of, kind of like the guy playing one cent, two cents, but, you know, still kind of taking it seriously, but, uh, you know, not really playing any kind of real money, but, um, I was inspired to, uh, try some cash games this season, just from listening to you guys on the Gilcast, and, uh, I won a little bit, but, uh, it's, it was kind of interesting. I kind of like thought that I would be just like, kind of like up against like, you know, other rubes like me. Uh, but, uh, then I'm like looking through my, uh, my matches. I'm like, huh, whirling dervish. Isn't that Sammy on, on the Gilcast? Yep. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, what? Nathan? Oh, is that Nate N? Is that Nate N from the Gilcast? <laughs> like, even if you play, uh, like $1 games, you're not, you're not safe at DFS. So I might have to, uh, rethink my whole, my whole strategy. No, you're, you're really not. I mean, it is, it is, uh, that is a big difference between poker and between DFS that, uh, the sites are still trying to kind of figure out the balance of, which is that, um, there, there is no time barrier to entering into $5 games for a professional DFS player. You know, the reason Phil Ivy wouldn't sit down to play one, two is there was a time barrier for doing that there, you know, there's, there, there's no time barrier for clicking a button to enter into a $5 contest. Right. There's no reason not to. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So it's just, I mean, it's just one of those things that, um, you know, it's, 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 I don't know. I get, I, I honestly suppose it's just sort of, um, unsolvable really from, from that level, but yeah, it, uh, DFS is, uh, DFS is a lot of fun. Are you, are you interested at all in sports betting? Cause that, you know, that's kind of the, the way the whole space is sort of heading right now is everyone wants to talk about betting on sports and player props and all that that stuff. Yeah. Talking about poker books again. I know Ed Miller is kind of in that space now. He's he's, got a lot of good poker books. Yeah. He's been on this show. His book, the course is great. And uh, his book, uh, his sports betting book is fantastic. I, I I let's let's give that another shout. Yeah, I, I tell people I, I probably uh, my the the number one books I recommend p- to people in my day to day life are uh, Ed Ed's sports betting book and Jonathan Wilson's book about soccer. I, I probably I probably buy those for people three times a year. Oh, interesting. Yeah, book about soccer, just about the game of soccer, or about it's it's about game? it's it's basically the history of of how oh. soccer evolved, like how it started. Uh, how it evolved in South America and in England sort of at the same time. It, it's, an, it's an amazing book. I'm literally rereading it right now. Um, anyone who has a passing interest in soccer should read Inverting the Pyramid. It is, it is one of my favorite books of all time. It's really, really good. Oh, nice. Well, so I didn't mean to like dodge your question there. So, I mean, the answer is kind of no. I haven't really gotten into sports betting. It kind of, I guess, like kind of um, always have had it in my mind that you know, the people making the lines are, you know, I guess I, I would have to put in the work. A lot I could of see, work. I could see potentially putting in the work to get an edge over the people making the lines, but in, in, in the way that I'm not willing to do that or I have the time and the inclination to do that, I don't, you know, 
I don't, I tend to stay away because I don't really, I have trouble talking myself into having an edge in it, I guess. With DFS, even, you know, it's a small money I'm playing, but I can, I can kind of talk myself into having a little more of an edge, even if I don't, but uh, sports betting, I haven't been able to get there yet, but uh, I could be, I could be thinking about it the wrong way. No, no, you're right. I mean, the edge in sports betting is smaller. You are, you're, you're absolutely correct about that. Um, and the, the edge in DFS is larger. The, the rake structures are, you know, uh, it, the rake structures make it so that um, the, the better players, the better players have a bigger advantage in DFS, but, but also, you know, when you win your, when you win your money line bet or whatever, like great, you win your money line bet. But it, if you if you win a DFS tournament once in 365 days, you have paid for years and years of that activity. So it uh, it's a little bit it's a little bit different that way. I I love DFS. I hope it never goes anywhere. But it's clear to me that the way the industry is moving, they all like sports betting more because it's the content is a little bit easier. And it is very profitable for these large companies. Interesting. Now, since this, this might be the only time that I'll be on kind of like a DFS podcast, I wanted to ask you, I kind of had a theory in the back of my mind on these like lottery, like large field, the Millie Maker tournaments. Yes. That everyone's like double stacking too much. What do you think about that? Like, I feel like you're like capping your upside Whereas like, if you're going to win like the Millie maker, you need to have like a perfect run and you're really capping your upside by like, by having, you know, by double stacking, by having two wide receivers from the same team where they're, you know, if they're going to be negatively correlated, what do you think about that? The, 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 the data actually suggests that you are correct, that people are in the, in something, you know, like the, the single entry and three max things that we talk about on the Gill cast that that sort of 80th percentile outcomes are good there. An 80th percentile outcome uh, can can get right. you a first place pretty easy. But but sure. you're right. The the Millie Maker, uh, you know, the three dollar play action on DraftKings, things like these. It, you you could make an argument that stacking at all might not even be good because really what you're trying to do. I mean, to win the Millie Maker, you almost have to have the perfect lineup. You almost have to have the actual optimal lineup. And the the odds that the actual optimal lineup will include a double stack and a double bring back are like infinitesimally small. Um, it's it's almost it's all you 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 literally would almost be better off just like clicking buttons um and, and just playing your favorite plays in uh those formats. You're you're right. That's what I'm kind of thinking is it seems like everyone decided or someone decided that double stacking was just correct. And then everyone started saying like, well, you just got a double stack in every tournament. And I don't know if that's, that's uh, doesn't seem right in those huge tournaments. Anyway. Uh, oh, the other thing is uh, I, I wonder if like everyone's like so addicted to like the bring back. Right. And I wonder if it, that's like a little counterproductive in taking away some of your uniqueness where like, all of a sudden, like, well, you have this same combo as everyone else because everyone wanted to do the bring back. No, you are you are right. I mean, it is it is one of those things where it's very discussed. It's 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 certainly over discussed and overplayed amongst like 
people who are on DFS podcasts and people who listen to DFS podcasts. You know, I, I don't think, I don't think anyone would doubt that. And um, however, you know, if you do look at only like first place finishes, you do see that pieces in those lineups do tend to correlate more than you would expect. Um, our, our, my, my buddy, TJ Hernandez, who does content for four for four has, has found that, especially uh, in, in those large field ones. Like, um, so I don't know, it's, it's one of those things where I don't really have the answer because what you're saying resonates to me is true. It, which is just that, that you, you're, you're really just trying to pick the perfect lineup in those contents in those contests. Yeah. Sometimes I'll like, uh, you know, see a podcast or something and they'll be going through the Millie maker w- winner and they'll kind of be like trashing it. Like, Oh, this lineup doesn't make any sense. I'm like, Oh, that might be a good lineup if it doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? These lineups that like make so much sense might be uh, overplayed. But anyway, you know, I'm not a DFS guy. We don't have to, didn't want to get into a whole thing, but I uh, just wanted to throw that at you and see what you thought. No, I think you, I think you, I think you are right. Um, you know, like cer- certainly the guy who has the million dollars doesn't care if his lineup made sense or, or if it didn't. And, and I don't even, I don't even play contests um, of that, of that size anymore. Uh, gotcha. It, gotcha. Yeah. It, it used to be, it used to be fun to me. Uh, and, and now I, I am playing um, much, much certainly smaller seems contests. Like it was- it would be fun if you won. It certainly yes. seems like. Yeah, it's also it's also a huge it's also a huge money suck to uh to not win those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Okay. I have uh six trivia questions here. They're not they're not Jeopardy, they're not Jeopardy format. I think if you can get two of these, I'm gonna grade you as as a very good trivia i am going to give you like grand trivia master so these are questions that are related to basically this podcast guests who have been on this podcast or my favorite sports teams um you ready oh man if you were asking about the gill cast i have a better shot but i'll be up front i haven't listened to a lot of the take cast but I'll no that's okay best. that's okay i was you just on uh oh, no, sorry you- you won't you won't need to have listened to any of the episodes of this to to know to know they gotcha, it's gotcha. nothing it's nothing it's nothing buried it's nothing buried in the uh, in the archives here so first one who scored the final run in the Royals 2015 World Series win oh man uh who scored the final run in the Royals World Series win um I definitely don't know. I I'm kind of the type of person that like will follow, but like I follow kind of sports, but I don't watch it a lot. I probably didn't even really watch this game. Well, that's fair. But I'm gonna take a guess because I probably can at least come up with. <laughs> I think I hopefully can come up with a Royals player from that team. Um, Lorenzo Kane is that a guy? Honestly, unbelievable. Lorenzo Kane was the guy who drove it in. I'm going to give uh, you a point for that. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, I'm giving you, you don't have to I'm give me gi- a charity point. I'm giving you a charity point because that's unbelievable that you got the guy who drove it in. Ben, Ben Zobrist was the one who scored the ben final Zobrist, run. Okay. Uh, ben Zobrist was the one who, who drove it in or who, who scored Lorenzo Kane was the one who drove it in. Uh, 20, 2007. 
Kevin Durant gets drafted by the Oklahoma City Thunder. Then they were the Seattle Supersonics. Can you name either of the two other players who were drafted the same year? The, both of these guys played in the NBA for like 15 years. One, both of them were in the NBA forever. Drafted above him? What did you say? Drafted it. Drafted by the Supersonics in 2007. Oh, wow. Uh, who is drafted with Durant? Oh, boy. I mean, I can't, you, I, you, I you can't imagine it was Westbrook in the same. No, he was the same. next year. He, yeah. Him and Ibaka were the next year. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, I can think of a, well, I don't know if that's probably not far back enough either, but this is the only guy I can think of. So I'm going to say Nick Collison. Nick Coll- very close. Nick Collison was the year before. But ah. Carl Carl Landry and Glenn Davis. I was shocked to see oh, Glenn Davis, gotcha. but both of those guys played in the NBA forever. Same years as Did Landry Ryan. go to the Kings? Yes. Carl Landry? Okay. And then yeah. and then um and then Glenn Davis went big, to the Big Baby, of course. Big Baby. Yeah. Um, all right. David and so the Foster- Sonics drafted both of those guys. Oh, okay. Yeah, isn't that crazy? In in 2007. It's, Kevin Durant's been playing basketball forever. It's wild. Um, are, are you a Are you a reader? Do you read a lot? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, this one is going to be difficult. Then this is my okay. this is my all time favorite. Uh, this my my this is um it's related to my online poker name. My online poker name on Full Tilt and Poker Stars is from this novel, uh, David Foster Wallace's novel, Broom of the System, is based off this philosopher's work Ooh. now i'm trying they, to think if i can possibly figure it out without knowing anything about this so i will book. i i will say stone cold guarantee this philosopher has either been an answer or a question on jeopardy i would bet i would bet sure a whole bitcoin on this sure 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 um david what kind of philosopher would david foster wallace Guy who ultimately didn't want to be around anymore. Uh, I'll go with Nietzsche. No idea. Very close. Also German. Wittgenstein. Very close, though. No. Yeah, I never gotten that. Tough one. You had the right one. Uh, No way. Well, I'll be. I'll be very impressed if you know this one. The only NFL player to record 101 receiving yards on one drive in an NFL playoff game. I'll give you a hint. Aaron, Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback. Oh, okay. So no, no idea, but uh, Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback. So that gives me something. Uh, I guess it was probably a while ago because I feel like I there would have a better chance of I, I believe it, it, I believe recently. it was I believe it was five years ago. Oh, it was it ago? was the okay. it was the it was the Arizona Cardinals game. The Arizona Cardinals, the, the one that went into overtime. Okay, five years ago. I don't even know if this timing is right, but I'll just say Jordy Nelson. Timing was right, but it was their other. Uh, white wide receiver Jeff Janis, who is a a, a a cult a cult legend here, 
And then finally, wow. of course, we had to bring Patrick Laird into this. Patrick Laird's lone NFL touchdown was scored against which NFC team? All right. Well, this is just going to be a pure guess, unfortunately. Uh, so I, I kind of so Patrick Laird is like your buddy is your is, your, yes. is a friend of yours. Yes, That's cool. correct. Yeah. Um, what NFC team? Well, I guess I am going to say uh, you wouldn't have reused the Packers. Maybe a little less likely, so I won't guess that. Just trying to game it out any way I can. All right, I'll I will go ahead and say the Bears, the Philadelphia Eagles. <sighs> see, you see what I mean, though. So I'm writing these trivia <laughs> questions for you. These were too hard. These were these were too hard. These were too. Oh yeah. Well, for these me, were, these I mean, were too niche. It's all about the audience. I'm sure there would be. I'm sure there's an audience that you know. I, I don't think perfect for. I'm sure the, your listeners are probably among that audience. It's no, I, I I think I would have been the only person on earth who could have gotten all five of these, uh, <laughs> honestly. Which is which is uh, you know whatever. I just I I thought I thought it would be uh, a fun idea. You're a very good sport for you know. I was just along. on uh, on uh, the poker poker in the years podcast, Joe Stapleton's podcast, and he did the same thing to me. So I'm hoping I tweeted this. I hope there will be a new grand tradition of uh, podcast hosts uh, stumping me with trivia questions that I don't know the answer to. So, so, so States has never been on this show, but I love that guy. He, he used to, he used to host this podcast called two Jacks in the hole with, um, with Scott Huff. And then they later called it Huff and States. That was like, I remember Huff. Yeah. That was my favorite podcast of all time. It was like what made me want to like do like part of what made me want to do this for like a living. Like I a- absolutely those guys are the best. So if you if you enjoyed this, definitely go listen to Alex on Stapes' show as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, he does a great job uh, now. You know, commentating for uh, Poker Stars. All right. Well, let's uh, let's give some promo to School of Trivia and uh, let's get you out of here, bud. Cool. Um, yeah. So, uh, schooloftrivia.com or just find me on Twitter. Um, if you, uh, you know, if you love trivia, you don't even necessarily have to play in the league, but you could just read it as a newsletter if you want, or you can, you know, get, uh, five questions to your email every, uh, Monday through Friday, click the link and uh, submit your answers. And it's, uh, it's been a fun time. I've got a lot of good feedback. People seem uh, pretty happy with it. So, um, yeah, check it out. Schooloftrivia.com. Yep. Uh, Alex, thank you very much for, for coming on the show and uh, School of Trivia. People sign up and uh, yeah, we will uh, we'll be back next week. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.